1: So this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast and also Future Tech Health, and I have uh, three guys from Delta Waves. The website is deltawaves.org. We're going to talk about sleep medicine. We have Adam Mosley, Dale Mosley, and Joe Schultz. So uh, thanks for coming, everyone. How you doing?
2: Great. Thanks for having us. Happy to be here.
1: Yeah. Well, if you would, uh, in order, just you know, let me know, um, you know, what you do and what your position is at Delta Waves, and we'll start with there.
3: Yeah, so uh, I'm Joe, I'm a certified clinical research coordinator here, and I specialize in the sleep-related sleep-related research that we do. Okay.
4: Um, I'm Adam, I am a registered polysomnographic technologist, and I manage a good chunk of the sleep department here. And if Adam seems
2: a little tired, it's because he works night shift, <laughs> I just woke up. <laughs> like, oh no. And uh, okay. so, I'm Dale, and I founded Delta waves uh at a hospital in Colorado springs and i said, uh saw a need for you know, collaboration also research obviously medicine it seemed to be three different parts that were happening separately, and we were able to bring it together one okay
1: very good so what's the premise of uh of delta waves what was the company about? what do you guys
2: do so uh delta waves uh you know we were founded uh, back in two thousand Uh, So we have been around a little while and like I said, uh, I was a former sleep technologist and um, basically um, I was seeing a lot of folks go to the hospital getting their disorders diagnosed and they were having trouble with their treatment, really struggling with uh, with their CPAP, BiPAP and their oxygen therapy. And... So uh, I thought that if we could develop something that could tie uh, not only the diagnosis, but the treatment disorders together, could be serving our community be better in our patient population. Uh, so launched back in 2005 and very quickly, a rapidly evolving field, and uh, so that's why we're here today. Um, we have some exciting things that be part of in terms of being involved in the cutting-edge technology with sleep medicine. We're fortunate enough to be able to do trials of different um, types of CPAP machines, different equipment, uh, as well as masks that are used in sleep apnea. Um, One of the biggest problems uh, with patients in compliance is their masks that they have to wear for the treatment of uh, their sleep apnea. Oftentimes they don't fit quite right. Mm. We've been, we've, uh, been fortunate enough to be able to have, you know, uh, allow our patients to try masks that aren't even on the market yet. So um, anyway, that's kind of the the thumbnail of, of how we came about and uh, what we do. Okay.
1: So so your focus is uh, treatment of sleep apnea through various CPAPs or BiPAPs or other types of machinery, right?
2: Yeah, that's probably, um, I mean, we have, it's multifaceted. We also have insomnia, there's ovary disorders. So uh, we do are able to diagnose most of those sleep disorders Uh, maybe Adam can speak more on that
4: yeah so uh, we run uh, sleep studies six six nights a week Um, essentially we hook people up with a bunch of wires and tell them to go to sleep as normally as possible and then we just monitor their sleep during the night looking for multiple different sleep disorders like Dale said we can detect up to 60 of the 80 sleep disorders, so if there's anything going on during the night, uh, we're documenting that and letting the doctors know. Um, and uh, throughout the night, we can treat two sleep disorders uh, in lab. So if the patient's oxygen is running low, we can put them on supplemental oxygen. And then also the treatment of uh, sleep apnea through uh, using CPAP or BiPAP or ASV, uh, being in Colorado we see a lot more cases of uh, high elevation central sleep apnea so we end up using advanced therapies quite often um, so that's that's kind of unique to being in a in a higher location uh, as far as elevation goes
1: yeah what is high elevation uh, related sleep apnea can you talk about that a little bit
4: yeah, so uh, with higher elevations, the, the oxygen that someone breathes in, they're, they're not getting uh, as much oxygen to the lungs. And so what happens is you end up breathing a bit faster to, to maintain oxygen levels during sleep. The problem with that is uh, as you exhale more, you're exhaling more CO2 or carbon dioxide, uh, which that, that creates low CO2 levels. Uh, and, and the brain to overcompensate for that, or the brain tells the body to not breathe to make up for the lack of CO2, and you end up having what's called central sleep apnea. Um, well, the problem with that then is as you're not breathing, your oxygen will dip, and then uh, your brain goes, oh, I'm not getting any oxygen. So you you start to hyperventilate, and uh, you end up burning off all that CO2 your body was trying to trying to retain. And it's this endless cycle where the body's trying to find the the right tidal volume. So we we have to use um, more advanced therapies like ASV stands for uh, auto-servo ventilation or adaptive servo ventilation, depending on uh, what brand of company you're working with. (laughs) Uh, But essentially, this is a ventilator um, that that, uh, evens out your tidal volume. It gives you deeper breath and slows your breath rate down um, to maintain oxygen, but also uh, maintain proper CO2 levels. One of the biggest problems we have with these machines is they end up uh, leaking. Um, either the mass doesn't fit right or um, uh, someone is breathing through their mouth with a nasal device, which doesn't quite work all the time. Um, so, that That's where Joe comes in.
3: Uh, he does these trials with us. Joe? <laughs> yeah, so we um, we work with the top two manufacturers of sleep-related equipment, you know, um, CPAP machines, BiPAPs, ASVs, and then masks. Uh, and we get to uh, test out their new equipment. And a lot of times that involves uh, masks that aren't on the market yet uh, that might be a better fit for patients. Uh, so we can kind of alleviate that issue of not having the right fit, um, you know, and help these patients compliance and help that treatment start to work for
1: them. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. With traditional sleep apnea, what are the problems people have? You know, I've heard it's difficult to get used to a CPAP. So what does it mean, difficult to get used to it? What are the problems?
4: Well, it depends. Uh, Some people have a hard time getting used to the pressure. Those people tend to uh, have higher pressure levels. Uh, But most complaints that that I hear from from CPAP, it, it... is uh, that it's just not comfortable. They have to strap these masks on super tight so that it doesn't uh, leak out any air. Um, And also, uh, some people don't actually have the right pressure and they haven't been, uh, over time, they need a different pressure. And so sometimes just another sleep study is required to get compliance back. Uh, But yeah, the main issues we have are just uh, it's it's not very comfortable to wear, or the pressure seems like it's too high, or sometimes I get complaints that the pressure is even too low, and they feel like they need more air. Um, so those are those are the top complaints that I hear about.
1: Well, what happens when the pressure is too high? Like, what will the person experience? Like, they does it find it, do they find it hard to breathe? Is it I don't know? Do they yeah they not so, able to relax and sleep? Like, what happens to them?
4: Yeah, so that. Sometimes high pressures are necessary and and for that it is uh a little bit unfortunate but there are comfort settings on uh CPAP machines and BiPAP machines called ramp setting where you can push a button on your machine and it will drop the pressure quite low uh so that so that uh the person can fall asleep and the pressure will raise gradually um mm. one of the biggest things Uh, we do in lab, if someone complains of high pressures, is we can switch to BiPAP, which is essentially instead of, uh, so CPAP, it stands for continuous positive airway pressure. Uh, BiPAP uh, is actually two pressures. So you have one lower pressure, and as a patient inhales, it goes to the pressure needed to clear the airway. And then as the person exhales, it drops back down to that lower pressure for comfort. Uh, so the, those are the, those are the main things we do for high pressure levels.
1: I was going to ask you what what happens to people's um, so apnea is because people's soft tissues relax when they sleep and collapse, right? The airway collapses.
4: Yeah. So there are two main kinds of apnea. There's obstructive sleep apnea and there's central sleep apnea. So what I was talking about earlier was was central sleep apnea, where the brain sort of tells your body not to breathe. With obstructive sleep apnea, which we see very often as well, uh, is the soft tissue. It could be tongue, tonsils, adenoids, anything in the throat or the airways that is over-relaxing during someone's sleep and then collapsing down onto the airways, preventing a person from, uh, from breathing. It could be a deviated septum or something like that. Um, e- either way, positive pressure generally fixes or treats uh, uh, obstructive sleep apnea, whereas uh, positive pressure, uh, if it's just CPAP, tends to aggravate central sleep apnea. So they are treated. Central and
1: obstructive apnea are treated two uh, uh, very differently. Okay. Um, the, do you notice that uh, the amount of pressure required for someone to keep their airway open in uh, obstructive sleep apnea, for instance, changes as they go through different cycles of sleep or stages of sleep?
4: Oh, definitely, yeah. So um, REM sleep is a, a state of sleep where your body uh, actually produces a, a, a chemical naturally that paralyzes you um, so that you don't act out your dreams, essentially. Um, what happens uh, is if your body, all your muscle tissue is the most relaxed in REM sleep, so uh, you end up having generally more sleep apnea uh, in REM sleep, also, supine uh, or laying on your back, um, you can have worse apnea if you're on your back. Um, mm. these are it's very important during a sleep study to to be able to tell when someone goes into REM sleep because you may have to increase the pressure a little bit more aggressively if they start having more severe apnea. Because uh, you are uh, during a study, you're, you're changing the pressures to try and find an optimal pressure for that person. And different pressures vary from person to person too. Um, I've I've had I've had patients that are 300 pounds and they end up needing only a uh, very low pressure. And I've I've had quite the opposite uh, where you have a very slender person who needs you know 15 centimeters of uh, CPAP. So uh it it does vary in in uh different stages of sleep and different positions uh all play a part in that
1: Well, is there a way to get feedback from the person as they're sleeping without them being in a lab where you can the CPAP can adjust the pressure depending on the stage of sleep and the particular circumstance of what's going on at that moment
4: yes uh we can use auto CPAP uh where the the CPAP machine automatically adjusts pressure based on Uh, how the person's sleeping and it may increase the pressure uh, in in REM sleep if they're having more apnea. Uh, The one problem I see with these uh, auto machines is they do wait for you to have an apnea um, before it increases the pressure to adjust for your apnea. So that means that you're still going to be having apnea. Um, So I, that's why I think sleep studies are very important so that, you know, someone can come into a lab and find the, the pressure at which any position or any sleep stage, the, the pressure that that person needs to maintain sleep throughout the entire night. So we can't use auto CPAP with uh, comorbidities for patients without any other health issues.
1: Okay. I just didn't know if there's, uh, again, ideally it, does, it sounds like one pressure is not enough so it has to be multiple pressures that change throughout the time. Uh, yeah,
4: so, some people sometimes auto-CPAP really does work for some people. Um, uh, we do run into a lot more issues with auto-CPAP, especially when a person huh. has central sleep apnea, for example. Um, Auto-CPAP, uh, they're just now getting into some algorithms where it can detect central apnea and it won't increase for central apnea. But basically, if you increase a pressure of CPAP uh, for a patient who's having central sleep apnea, uh, that central apnea will worsen. Um, and, and sometimes machines will just keep increasing and increasing and increasing because it thinks they're having apnea or obstructive apnea uh, when they're actually having central apnea and it's just making that central apnea worse. Uh, a person as they're exhaling against uh against pressure, um end up uh, retaining CO2, and it causes some tidal volume issues, which, which again, aggravates central sleep apnea.
1: Yes, okay. So what's the, the new newness? What are the new masks about, or what are the new CPAP machines look like? What do they do that's different?
3: Um, like Adam touched on, uh, the main thing with the machines is the algorithm that they operate on. So if it's detecting the difference between the central apnea, hypopnea, and obstructive apnea, Um, If they're having periodic breathing or mask leaks, uh, it's all about the software on the machines. Um, Functionally, they operate mostly the same. You know, uh, all CPAPs are going to put out positive pressure. BiPAPs are going to have that variable pressure than ASVs um, with the ventilation. Um, But the new masks, um, you know, the main thing is going to be the shape and the comfort that they shoot for. So we'll get to try out, you know, is this uh, a different type of material? Is it a gel or a silicone? Um, you know, uh, how do we make that more comfortable when it's on the face, touching skin, not causing allergies? And then also, uh, how do we get the right fit? Um, that's another thing is, you know, there's 200 types of masks out on the market. And the reason for that is because everybody's a little bit different. You know, if you have a bigger nose or cheekbones or your chin, your lips, um, all the different uh, facial structures, you know, uh, require a specific mask for that. So, the newer technologies uh, you know, without going into too much detail and getting in trouble uh is creating you know masks that are custom for each individual um uh, you know essentially looking at that person and identifying that facial structure and immediately knowing which mask is best uh without having to trial and error you know dozens of masks some patients have unfortunately
1: yeah why couldn't you uh you know why couldn't there be a mold? and you make a custom mask, it seems like that wouldn't be, a, I don't know, too difficult.
3: Right. Um, you know, I think uh, maybe uh, something more electronic, like a you know, face scanner, um, 3D mapping, uh, would be a little quicker uh, than doing molds of the face. Uh, so I think that's probably where we're going to start heading is where you can walk into a store and get your face scanned and printed, you know, 3D printed for you. Uh, that would be ideal. Yeah, or
1: where the sleep study's done. I mean, that seems like to be an ideal place, you know, if they're going to have you there and all that, they should be able to do a mold of your face and make, uh, you know, make something custom.
3: Right. Ideally, we could do it fast enough. You would walk out that morning with a custom mask.
1: Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Um, Any other uh, uh, trends you're seeing? You know, like you've been doing this, I guess, for a while. uh, Is sleep apnea increasing or disorders changing the prevalence of them or the nature of them? I think in lab
4: we're starting to see a lot more difficult cases. Uh, the reason for that is uh, I believe uh, insurance companies are, are beginning to restrict how, how much they're approving uh, sleep studies and they're approving home sleep studies instead. So a lot of people are getting tested at home with a uh, home sleep study device um, and essentially that will rule out apnea um before they would have to come in for a sleep study. So if someone were to have sleep apnea or a sleeping disorder, low oxygen levels, uh they would end up sending them in lab after their home sleep study because then they've confirmed, okay, this person really does need a sleep study. Um mm. so, so we're seeing less and less uh easy uh studies that go through and, and we're seeing a lot more challenging studies uh Dealing with central apnea and obstructive uh, severe obstructive apnea. Uh, again, with these home sleep studies, a lot of times uh, doctors will just end up putting these people on auto CPAP. Uh, so they they never even come to to a sleep lab for a sleep study to see you know what pressure they might need. Uh, they just end up on auto CPAP after they've determined there's mild sleep apnea. A lot of times with mild sleep apnea, a the, the doctor can uh, or a sleep specialist can say this person might only need auto CPAP. So that's uh, really one of
2: the problems with the current trends. Rich is uh, <clears throat> so uh, with insurance making it more difficult for patients to uh, get a full in lab sleep study. Um, mm-hmm. They're uh, approving home sleep tests, which are very limited in their scope and what they can um,
1: uh, uh, what they
2: can diagnose. Um, uh, so yeah, what's what
1: the trade between what's the between a home sleep test and one in the lab? Like what can't you do? And what would that, uh, what problems would that cause?
2: So uh, typically with a home sleep test, there's there's limited, you don't get the EEG um, uh, channels. Uh, So you can't verify if they're actually in sleep or not in sleep. You can't verify whether they have central apnea versus obstructive sleep apnea. Uh, Basically it it rules out, uh, it can potentially rule out sleep apnea and rule obstructive sleep apnea with a certain degree of um, uh, Adam says Adam has something to add to this. <laughs> So in lab, I mean, we, we, put, we put monitors
4: on your legs we look, we're look. we looking at the heart, we're looking at the respiratory effort uh, we're looking at, uh, you know, we can detect snore, we can pick up ch- uh, muscle tone in the chin and the face, uh, we're looking at the, the brain waves, eye movements uh, home sleep test oh. is essentially uh, oxygen levels and airflow. So you have three or four channels at the most with uh, with a home sleep test. And they're really only looking for any sort of breathing disorder versus um, you know anything that can go wrong uh, uh, during sleep. So we we have 32 different channels in lab, whereas a home sleep test has.
1: What do you do if um you know is there is there good information gathered from a sleep study even if you don't have apnea and if you know if someone doesn't have apnea but I don't know let's say other things are going on can you help them or can you make recommendations most, yeah. yeah, so the most common
4: thing that I see in lab uh, is just uh, chronic low oxygen. So uh, someone's oxygen is low, either that, and, and in which case we would just supply uh, supplemental oxygen. Uh, We also see the most common thing is periodic leg movement disorder, or uh, syndrome, I think it is now, it changed, uh, where, you know, someone's twitching their legs during the night, and that can happen, uh, you know, every 30 seconds, or actually every 90 seconds or less, um, that's waking them up, you know, every other minute in their sleep. And... Uh, Usually, that's an electrolyte deficiency, uh, most commonly iron or potassium, in which case a lot of doctors do some blood cultures. Um, uh, Sometimes that results in some changes in sleep. Uh, The medication for that is readily available. Um, Also, we see REM behavior disorder, which is uh, where someone doesn't actually have a chemical that, that paralyzes them in their sleep. And they end up acting mm. out their dreams. Um, uh, that's a very interesting disorder because uh, has some uh, connection with uh, uh, you know on uh, the Alzheimer's and stuff like that. So uh, some of these disorders you can sort of help prevent uh, some big issues later later on down the road.
1: I mean, is it rash to say that you know everyone should have a sleep study as they get older? Let's say every few years to see what's going on with them? You know, is it as good as a, I know I'm really speculating here, but is it better even than a prostate exam? For instance, is it a good <laughs> diagnostic? I, well, I, I mean, think for, for overall health, you think it's a very good, you think it's a good diagnostic tool? I don't know. I
4: I think so. Um, I, I don't know if I, I would say it's better than prostate exam or something like that, but uh, I think if you think there's a chance you have That you have a sleeping disorder, or that you don't sleep well, or oh, I'm just one of those people that you know doesn't sleep very well at night. Uh, It's not just that you're one of those people. There's a chance there's something going on in your sleep and it's affecting your health and your day-to-day life. So I think it is valuable uh, and important that if you if you don't sleep well or if you don't think that you sleep very well, um, talk to your doctor about
2: you know having a sleep study because they can really change your life. Uh, Yeah, Rich, just maybe to tie in to what you were asking before about the current trends. Um, Mm. So, uh, what I was saying before is typically with a home sleep test, uh, oftentimes what are happening just because of insurance issues is a patient will get a home sleep test, uh, the doctor will suspect sleep apnea, and then they'll get sent home an auto CPAP. This is very common, especially for younger generations, uh, maybe 40 years old, um, where they don't Mm. have other health issues. Uh, the problem with this is, oftentimes these patients end up not being compliant because they they don't get the education that's uh, required to really be successful uh, with their CPAP treatment, and or they're not being treated properly because AutoPAP is limited in its scope. Uh, so, uh, you know, what's ended up happening is a lot of patients that really need treatment for sleep apnea aren't using it because the patient has failed uh, the treatment compliance reasons. Uh, so I just really encourage you know, patients who uh, are struggling with their sleep issue not to just throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak, but to really push their doctors for um, an in-lab study if the, if the um, uh, home sleep test and AutoPath isn't working and they're still sleepy because insurance will cover it if the AutoPath is failing or they still have symptoms. Um, but it really takes the patient to advocate for themselves to get in and keep trying different masks. Mask is leaking or it's uncomfortable. Just keep pushing their uh, medical medical equipment supplier um, for trying different types of masks uh, until they get something that works for them. Um, because it's really uh, it's it's really crucial for their overall health, like Adam's. Yeah, it's a uh, we try to educate
4: all our patients in, in the
2: lab that
4: uh, sleep apnea sleep apnea does not only affect uh, you know how well you sleep or or how alert you are during the day. But if you're not breathing, your oxygen is going down, uh, and that really affects your heart. And this can lead to high blood pressure, heart attacks, stroke in your sleep. And a lot of, a lot of deaths that happen in sleep are, are being linked to, uh, untreated sleep apnea where their, their heart has just over time, um, uh, not been getting enough oxygen. And so it's, it's really,
3: uh, really put a detrimental effect sure, yeah, to yeah, the yeah. function of it yeah
1: yeah i mean if you're stopping sleeping it's i would think it's a horrible stress to your system and if that happens 10 20 30 50 times an hour if it happens mm-hmm. hundreds of times a night that sounds pretty horrible to me
2: yeah well if you've ever actually watched somebody that has sleep apnea sleep or try to sleep it's actually quite disturbing
1: <laughs> my dad he would gasp and all that I, i've seen it personally yeah, it's terrible yeah.
4: I just, I just had someone the other night that, that had uh o- over hundred and thirty apneas per hour. And, and to mark an apnea, we have to uh we have we it has to be ten seconds long, according to the American Academy of of Sleep Medicine. Which I know you interviewed uh Dr. Krager the other uh uh podcast, a couple of podcasts back or something like that. And uh he uh, he's right, it has to be at least ten seconds to mark. Uh, and 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 so that's like two breaths, ten seconds of not breathing. Two breaths, ten seconds of not breathing, and that goes on until we can put them on CPAP. So we have to see a certain amount of apneas being sleep techs to make a diagnosis. So we have to sit there and wait for these people to essentially qualify right. for the CPAP machine. Um, but I mean, as soon as I put the the CPAP machine on this on this person, they they start sleeping like a baby. So <laughs>
1: huh. that's crazy. Um, it, it... What happens if you have a subclinical apnea? You know, the person still stops sleep, stops breathing, but it's only uh, seven seconds. But it happens twenty times an hour. What do you do? So do you, usually, you say, "Oh, you're fine," or you, know, what
4: do you No. Do? So uh, that is
1: very, very, very rare. Uh, when when I see sleep
4: apnea, and I've been a sleep tech now for almost eight years, uh, when I see sleep apnea, it is almost always ten seconds. That's just generally how long sure. it takes the brain to recognize. The lack of oxygen that it's getting before it realizes, oh, I'm not breathing, I I, I should uh, wake up and take a breath of air. So um, there are types of apneas uh, uh, that that are shorter, um, but it's, it's very rare, like I said. We don't see that very often, and most of the time they are at least 10 seconds, if not longer, so most of the time longer.
1: Okay. Yeah, I was just wondering, because I figured that would be disruptive too, but... Yeah, it's weird that the ten second mark seems to be a threshold that's so common. So, what do you see? Either people don't have apneas at all, or they have them more than ten seconds, or it just yep. doesn't affect a person badly if it's less than ten seconds.
4: Yeah, it is. It is like either they don't have sleep apnea, or it is. It is generally always around ten seconds long. And and uh, hmm. for the most part, uh, we see if someone has sleep apnea, doctors start concerning. Uh, or start, be, start being concerned about sleep apnea after someone has had uh, over five apneas per hour. Now, um, moderate sleep apnea is anywhere from 15 to 30 apneas per hour. Uh, severe apnea is anything over 30 apneas per hour. So if you have more than five apneas per hour, um, uh, y- you could have symptoms the same as if someone who had over 30 apneas per hour, which is kind of odd, but it is the case, you know, if you're waking up more than five times an hour, you're probably going to be tired during the day. So uh, generally people and insurance or insurances will cover CPAP machines uh, for people who have AHIs or RDIs, which are the hypopnea or apnea hypopnea index over five, uh, which is just apneas per hour.
1: And um in a lab, I mean, you know, it seems uh, it's a different environment the person sleeps in, different pillow, different bed. They're hooked up to all these instruments. They probably mentally are like, Oh my god, what if I have sleep apnea? Yeah. How do you get good data? Do they still sleep okay or, or is the whole thing just
4: Yeah, I don't know, like so, how do
1: you get good data?
4: Yeah, so uh technically all we need is two hours of sleep to, to diagnose a sleep disorder. Um uh we generally get more, um, but we will in a healthy person. We will see, uh, hopefully, every stage of sleep within two hours. And if we don't, usually something is preventing you from getting to that stage. Um, one of the biggest things we do here at Delta Waves is uh, train our techs to to be friendly with with people that are coming in. Uh, our labs are are clean, cozy. They they look like a a nice hotel room that you come in and um, we don't bring the wires in until you know it's time to hook them up we we have conversation with them while we're hooking them up you know it's 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 not like this weird two-way mirror where you're looking through and like watching someone sleep uh when we when we hook someone up with all these wires we just say you know all we look at throughout the night is a bunch of squiggly lines um you know we're not actually eating popcorn and Watching you sleep, you know. So um, the the environment here at Delta Waves is very relaxing and, and as comfortable as it can be under the circumstances. Uh, a lot of people that come through end up saying, "Well, that wasn't as bad as I thought it would be," even though it was not great.
2: Uh, Plus, Rich, it's kind yeah, of like going right. uh, to get your hair done, you know. Your hairstylist is through your hair. It kind of makes you sleepy. <laughs> so <laughs> you're, you're, you're uh, putting all the EEG wires on their head. It's kind of making them sleepy. Plus, half <laughs> these people are sleep-deprived anyway. So uh, <laughs> okay. sometimes they're falling asleep in the chair while you're up. There. Yeah,
1: yeah. All right, well, very good. So what's the best way to find out more about your work and uh, you know, for people to get in contact if they want to interface with you and talk to you?
2: Yeah, so the best way is uh, just to go to our website at uh, deltawaves.org. We can also call our office if uh, somebody's local and wants to schedule an appointment Uh, at 719-262-WAVE or 719-262-9283. Well,
1: that's great. Well, Adam, Dale, and Joe, I really appreciate you guys coming. And uh, sleep's super important. So uh, I'm glad that we took the time to talk about this. So I appreciate you being here. Thank you,
2: Rich. Appreciate you you. uh, having us.